Hello, Open Your Hymnal listeners. We are so grateful for your support of our first season and are very excited to kick off season two with John Angotti and his song, I Send You Out. You can help our podcast continue to grow and reach more people by leaving us a review on iTunes and by following us on Facebook. Also, you've heard Matt and I talk about a project we are both very passionate about called the One Call Institute. This week-long summer institute for youth music ministers and their adult mentors will have its inaugural season this coming June. On Saturday, June 30th, on the campus of St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota, the student participants of One Call will give an evening of scripture and song, a culmination of their work throughout the week with a program including songs by Tony Alonzo, Michael Jonkis, Jaime Cortez, and many more. We invite all those in the area to come share this joyous event with us. Additionally, for all those who could not attend the entire institute, One Call is offering a half-day session called the Summer Ministry Colloquium. Taking place the morning of Saturday, June 30th, this session includes morning prayer with the institute participants, a keynote by Father Michael Jonkis, and breakout options with Bonnie Faber, Berta Sabrio, Diana McAlintle, Jaime Cortez, and Matt Reichert. For more information about these events and to register for the Summer Ministry Colloquium, check out our website, www.onecallinstitute.org. Now on to season two of Open Your Hymnal. Zach, in our conversation today, we are going to be discussing different aspects of contemporary music. And I have to admit, that makes me feel really old because none of my pop culture references are current. None of the music that I can refer to is being played on any radio station that it does not have oldies in the title. And um, that's... That's just a really heavy burden for me to bear. Well, it's it's funny because when we talked about possibly discussing this song, I kept thinking to myself, no, it's too new. It's too new. And uh, I was shocked to find out that it's almost 20 years old, which like you, Matt, it made me feel pretty old. And, um, you know, it's it, it's funny. I, I've, I finally realized that I've gotten to that age where I know no new music like my my kids and my in my youth um my youth ensemble come in and they like i just don't know any of their music anymore and it's it's a very humbling and very uh depressing thing to realize you mean you have not tried to teach them about the joys of matchbox 20 or dave matthews band or in sync or any of the the glory hits from our glory days you know, I yeah, for the longest time I just thought that everyone knew that and you know, every every once in a while those songs will come up and I just get these blank looks from 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 people and um I just I don't know what to do with myself. I read a book called uh This is Your Brain on Music and in one of the articles, I know I'm not going to get this exactly right, but basically the author says that your musical taste is defined by about the time you turn 20. 
And when I look at myself, that is exactly right. Like, even now, like, if I do hear a new song that I like, it's because it sounded like something from 1998 that I loved. And so um, I suppose that's why um, I Send You Out is going to be the first uh, quote-unquote contemporary song that we do because it, it, I guess it came out when... Oh my gosh! When I was fifteen. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think that's an interesting interesting point that you raise the the research about when our music preferences are formed because I think you know as we'll discuss in the episode, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty even in just in defining what we mean by contemporary and how we all approach contemporary music and certainly the connection between a time in a person's life and what they relate to what was contemporary at that time certainly seems to have something to do with it. So we'll scratch the surface of contemporary music. We'll talk a lot about music discipleship, what it means to send and form people, and a little bit about culture wars, which we've got a full plate for today's conversation. You really should be the one who says it, because I said it, I think, the last couple. I said it the last couple. All right, so please open your hymnal to I Send You Out. I send you out, I send you out, on a mission of love, I send you out, I send you out. Hey, uh, this is John Angotti, and I'm a music missionary that travels around the country, and I'm also a full-time uh, music director and liturgist at St. Philip's in Franklin, Tennessee. The idea came uh, in the late 90s and um, sitting at a piano in Morgantown, West Virginia, and um, it is uh, Pentecost Sunday, and I'm um, trying to find something that uh, that would be uplifting. I had a contemporary ensemble of uh, about 40 in the group, and um, basically playing in... Uh, in a, in a rock band on the weekends. Uh, I was working for West Virginia University Foundation, and Hootie and the Blowfish had a big hit at that time. And um, for some reason, the opening riff uh, resembles one of their songs, just, you know, just in the beginning riff. And um, so having that message at the end of that gospel, which is, you know, I, you know, and I'll be with you always until the end of time. And it just kind of sang. And um, so the the hook is just like a, you know it's a, it's, a, it's got that uh, repetitive I send you out on a mission of love I send you out on a mission of love so it's so it became so simple and, and it caught on instantly I mean like the little alto part that goes with it uh, my friend Meredith who uh, um, was sang on the original recording and stuff you know she just immediately picked that up so sometimes you know I think when songs are right they just automatically sing themselves. And, uh, you know, so this one uh, seemed to catch on. Of course, originally I wrote it in the wrong key. I wrote it in B-flat like an idiot because, you know, you think everybody's a tenor. And um, so, you know, it, it, uh, it's something that also resembles our baptismal promises. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, the second verse comes out with the, it's time for us. You know, it sends us on this mission. Which, to me, I think a lot of people miss the, the sending forth, right? They, they, it's a misunderstood, you know, for people, you know, mass ends whenever they think it ends. 
And uh, one time I asked somebody, I said, why, why do you leave Mass early? And they looked at me and they said, you know, I don't know. And, and that was hit me that that's the real reason. You know, people really don't know that we need to be sent out on this mission of uh, t- to love and to serve the Lord because we can get uh, confused in our occupations and our vocations. That occupations change, but our vocation is actually, we all have the same vocation that's given to us at the end of Mass, to go forth, to love. You know, you, you're losing your way along. What do I need to do? Love somebody, you know. And uh, so I came up with this thing, what mission stands for, moving in spirit, seeing inside others' needs. And um, so the song's kind of had a little life of its own over the last almost 20 years now. It's kind of, which for some folks it's a new song, and um, but, you know, it's been around a long time, so it's done. Um, I think it, it helps the right, it helps the people, uh, you know, take what, they ju- what just happened to them. You know, you just received the body and blood of Christ, and now go out and be that. And um, so, you know, connects things with the world and all that kind of stuff. So, Before we get too far into our conversation, Zach, I think we should take some time to define our terms. Um, We're going to be using the term contemporary at different points in this conversation, and that's a word that, depending on the hearer, is going to mean different things. Um, Some people feel contemporary means, you know, in the moment or of the time. Some people feel that it's a style. I I certainly know people who will refer to the music of, you know, David Haas or Marty Haugen or the St. Lewis Jesuits as contemporary liturgical music, and I also know people who think of the music of those composers as traditional because they, they've grown up with it and it's been around for a while. So for the purposes of our conversation, how do you think we ought to frame our understanding of this, this label contemporary? I think it's a good question because, you know, we often think of the word contemporary as something to do with chronology. So, you know, music of the time, perhaps. And it's important to note that I Send You Out is actually nearly 20 years old. So by that definition, um, it would be hard to to qualify this song as being contemporary. So I think for the purposes of liturgical music, the word contemporary tends to have more of a qualitative uh, definition. But I think what you say about, you know, what's contemporary for some is traditional for others is is the really important or really interesting thing here. And if we're thinking of contemporary as music of the time, what we're really saying is that it's music of the time where people, I think we're maybe coming of age. So like those people who think of David Haas and Marty Haugen is contemporary. The same people who are growing up or listening to uh, the music of John Denver, perhaps, where you can see a lot of correlation between those kind of styles. Um, the music now, uh, we're, you know, top 40 is heavily influenced by rock, pop music. Um, the things that we're hearing when you go to the grocery store, I think it's when people hear music that sounds like that. Uh, that we tend to throw around this um, this designation of contemporary. Yeah, and, and I think that, that stylistic qualification is interesting because one of the, and, and we'll get to this in our conversation with John, but one of the things that we talked about, and I think one of the considerations for a lot of people who are planning music when they consider styles and they consider contemporary music is, what is the... 
what is the role of contemporary music or how ought we to approach or think of contemporary music in terms of the liturgy? And, and certainly there's a, that's a big conversation and there are a lot of ways to think about it and a lot of considerations. But I think if we approach it from the standpoint of how, how is our prayer life and our worship you know, this synthesis of faith and life and life and culture and how do those things interrelate? Um, I, I think I think that that maybe helps to, to frame some of these questions of is contemporary music appropriate for the liturgy or not? If so, why? How should how should we, you know, meet people where they are in terms of the music they listen to, culture, etc.? These days when I'm writing for liturgy, I think differently than when I originally started writing because I, uh, when I started doing this, and then people started saying, "Hey, can you come to my parish? Can you come to my?" And I realized I, I I didn't know anything, so I went on uh, uh, to get a master's in, in uh, pastoral studies at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago, and that whole experience opened my eyes to like nobody knows this. No wonder nobody's singing. You know, people are not predisposed before they enter into the worship. You know, you can't technically go to Mass to get faith. You go because you have it. And so when is it nourished? And it's like nobody's really feeding their faith, and so therefore they're coming on Sunday because they're hungry. And so now we have this beautiful liturgy that nobody speaks the language. So the music is catechetical because it helps people enter into the the, the the ritual, you know, and sometimes, you know, we don't realize, because one of the things I, I find is um, time is a man-made entity. So when you enter into outside of the earth, there is no time, earthly time. And when we enter into mass, it's like entering into this different time zone. But the only way to do that is to use your imagination, which is also not enough. But I think we've lost a sense of, I hate to, I don't know if this is the right word, but mythology and mystery, you know, to enter into something that is actually present, but we just, you know, you have to leave your own consciousness and, and enter into a different realm. And, um, you know, how do we do that and help people Enter in. You know, that's why, you know, you see churches that are now have narthexes and pathways where people walk into their church. So they can, it's like, you know, you're transforming, coming into this whole other thing. But it's like a movie, you know. But who's thinking that? You know, who, who has that intentional idea when they're walking in? So then you can, you know, you, you meet God first in each other where we... I confess to you, Almighty God, and my brothers and sisters, I screwed up this week. Lord, have mercy. You know, but so I don't think we. I don't think we have. Uh, I think presiders need to have a sense of that as well. Musicians need to have a sense of that. So it's not just one style. You know that the Star Wars. Some people are. You know, they're kind of stuck in their own head and they can't see. You know, for me, I, I think it's it's chant. It's contemporary. You can't forget where you came from because I think some of those old chants help us tie into something that's before us, that still continues, and yet the contemporary stuff gives us a pathway to where we're going so you don't get stuck and you can still reach a new generation. So what's music like in heaven? 
And so I tell those that are stuck in 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 the contemporary world, the first thing you're going to hear is a, a, you know Latin chant, and those that are stuck in Latin chant, first thing you want to hear is those those African drums, you know. That, <laughs> they're like, what's this, you know? So, because at the end of the day, I mean, really, it, it's it's a big guess. You know, we don't know, and people want to have security to say, I'm right. This is the way. I have all the answers, and and this is the way it should be. And it's like, you know, we're, we're still evolving so um can can i be a devil's advocate for a second so so let me let me let me pose this so let's pretend that you're my music minister and i'm your pastor right and what response would you have to a question of um i understand that people's people's connection and relationship to music in a contemporary or modern style. However, the problem is that there is music in the same style that is popular and of the culture that refers to a lot of activities, topics, etc. that is not appropriate for church. And so therefore, when you bring in that style to a worship setting, um, there isn't the same type of reverence or quality or depth that is required for something, especially like the Eucharist, right? So so in 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 some ways that argument uses exactly what you're talking about meeting people where they are and saying but where people are outside of church is not where we want them to be inside a church. So how do you how do you square that circle when presented with that question? Well, I guess this is the crux of the whole style wars debate about what is beautiful, what is appropriate, what is reverential and I don't know, but I think I think what Father Jim Martin said in our special feature episode that we recently released about anything that brings people closer to God is okay, is to paraphrase uh, what he says. Um, now, of course, that, that opens wide the door because what is going to bring me closer to God is not necessarily what's going to bring my grandmother closer to God, which is not necessarily what is going to bring the guy down the street uh, closer to God. Um, I think what we miss in the whole Style Wars debate is an authentic conversation uh, with each other about why does this music speak to me? What am I getting from it? Um, Instead of, unfortunately, what we usually do, which is a knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, no, that doesn't belong here. Um, Of course, there are there are very technical ways of discerning, um, looking at lyrics to make sure that they are theologically correct, that they are not heretical in any way. Um, Sing to the Lord and, and the other music documents, they only give us vague words of which to make these determinations, things like saying that the music should not be trite. Um, again, how do we do it prayerfully? And to me, it means... A real authentic relationship with your assembly, uh, with your pastor, with your staff, knowing what speaks. Um, Is this the kind of message we want to bring? Um, Is it doing it effectively? Is it bringing people closer to God? Is it reverential of God? Um, And I think 
perhaps we need to be okay with the answer to those questions being different depending on where you are. Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's a lot there that that is that is absolutely correct, and I think it it underscores first of all that besides musical, we have two other judgments, right, to, to be able to use. And so we're not just looking at something based upon its style and preferring it or not preferring it. We also, in addition to that, need to look at things theologically. We need to look at things liturgically. So, I mean, we do have a, you know, multiple points of reference here when making those those decisions. But I think what, what you're saying, Zach, and, and, and you're right to refer to what, what Jim Martin said, too, in that we, we need to we need to understand the close personal relationship and experience that people have with the prayers that they pray, the music that they sing, and the experience of common communal worship. And, and we need to form that, and we can't, we can't replicate that inauthentically. I think sometimes what gets in the way, regardless of whatever style we are trying, we're, we're talking about, whether it's contemporary or it's hymnody or, or it's chant or whatever it is, is when we foist a style upon people because we assume it's best or we assume that's what they want or that's what they need. And there isn't that other formational personal connection aspect. I think, you know, my hypothetical question of, well, this isn't reverential, it's too of the culture and not enough, you know, of God. I, I think that can be true. And I think that can be true for any style if there's not that catechetical underpinning and we can't talk about the formational aspect of that piece and how it connects and people really understand what we're singing and why we're singing. If we program I Send You Out just because it's got drums and electric guitars and we think that's what the kids are going to want or boy, people are really going to come to mass if they have exciting music, it's a problem. Just like if we only plan chant or organ music or guitar music from the 60s or whatever because we feel like that's what people are really going to want and that's what's going to pack them in the seats, etc., then we really have a problem. And and I think we, we always have to drill down to that formational level and and meet people there where they are because that's where we're going to find out what it is that they need. Because here's the thing, full active and conscious participation, which is what we're looking for. How do you get that? I found the only way to get full active conscious participation in mass is people have to have full active and conscious participation in life. If you're not in a relationship with Christ in your everyday life, if you don't have a prayer life, if you're not conscious of God in your moments of traffic or anger or that kind of stuff, if you don't have that kind of, um, if you don't have that type of uh, um, uh, intentionality in your life, it's hard to come to Mass and then all of a sudden say, please rise and join our celebration and have full active and conscious participation and you don't even know who who you're worshiping because you know, if you truly believe Christ present, how can you not sing? So there's something about believing. And to be able to believe that at Mass, you have to, you know, Mass is the response to faith, right? So how, how is your faith nourished and all that kind of stuff? Well, it seems to me like what we're talking about or talking around here is this whole concept of hospitality, 
right? And and so, you know, if you think through the lens of hospitality when you're welcoming people, how do you do that to meet them where they're at, wherever they are, and to move them down the field a little bit, to feel more comfortable, to engage differently, to be open, etc. So when you think about how we do that culturally in our homes, whether we do that well culturally or not, applying that in a liturgical or a ministerial setting, not only do we have to be hospitable in terms of welcoming people, but then we need to be hospitable so they're prepared to be formed, and then we need to send them. And that's one of the things where I think this song gets a lot of its impact and a lot of its power is because it is a song about sending, but it's about the go and do. It's it's the it's the missioning piece. And so, you know, thinking again about our previous part of this conversation about the connection between um, faith and culture, you know, vis-a-vis style of music. If we think about culturally, how do we welcome people into our homes? You know, you have people over for dinner and you welcome them, you know, then we can form them for a great conversation, etc. And we don't send them. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if people overstay their welcome, we have to, but we there's no like, we haven't gathered them to send them for some sort of purpose, right? But that's exactly why we gather for prayer and for liturgy is to be formed so that we can be sent out of the doors. I, I think of that that Pope Francis quote, you know, um, that Christ knocks on our hearts to be let in and on the doors of the church to be let out, right? So so this piece is all about sending out. And, and I think we as a church do a good job of gathering, a pretty good job of gathering, we don't always do a great job of sending. And so I think this piece in particular really underscores that. And it's no wonder then that it becomes popular, you know, especially um, for, uh, of course, Pentecost, um, but also for commencement season, for graduations, for missioning masses, that type of thing, where it really underscores the going and sending. But ultimately, that's what we do every time we gather for worship. Absolutely, because... It is when we are sent forth from the liturgy that the the really hard work begins. And uh, the song speaks to that. Um, and it's it's a hard thing to do um, to to live the gospel in our lives outside the walls of the church. It's there there's something easier about it when when you're gathered there on a Sunday for an hour, you know, you're with people that you know. But going out and then living that gospel call in the grocery store at work where there are people who believe different things than you, that's that's the real challenge. And so um, I think you're right, Matt. We need to do a better job of sending. You know, we're all evangelists. Church exists to evangelize. And so the way that I evangelize is, is through the music. So the music speaks and spreads the gospel, and that becomes the mission the mission to go out into the world and and to bring this good news. So the music mission part is using music as the tool to um, uh, to bring the mission to the world, you know. And it's not my mission, it's Jesus' mission, you know, who says go forth and, and baptize all and bring the gospel, you know, and uh, as best as you can. So a lot of people don't hear it, don't want to hear it. So I think you have to kind of be creative and, and how we present this, so music has an opportunity to uh, to bring a message and and bring what you feel God is telling you to tell other people. 
uh, in a unique way. So some of the music I write is liturgical and some of the music I write is not liturgical. It's more inspirational. And, and um, you know, as church continues to struggle, I was just in Tampa last week and they uh, had did this uh, logistics survey in the area in downtown Tampa. And I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people it was. But anyway, 11, 12% were Catholic, 11% were Protestant, and 60% didn't even believe in God. So, you know, I think it's the, the church has a, an opportunity here to rethink itself, to renew itself, you know, and ritual is a language that we speak. And if people don't understand the language, how can they enter into the encounter? And, you know, I think we've lost a sense of mystery and we don't live in that era anymore where people are with this awe and wonder. You can turn to your phone and find all the answers and... And um, so I had a friend of mine who's a, a millennial kid. He played for this group, Gunger, who's a big Christian group. And he left them because he said, you know, the Christian market's a lot about money and selling CDs and creating a, an experience for folks to do what would came the question, you know. And so he doesn't play with them anymore. And, and he says to me, he says, why do I need your church? He says, I got a group of friends. We, we're, we believe in God. We pray together. We go out and do works of mercy together. Uh, what, what, and, and, you know, in some ways I was like, I, I couldn't really answer the question. And uh, because I think, you know, th- to look at ourselves as, as musicians and, and what we do in, as church to say, okay, are we making a difference? So, you know, these days I look as, as a liturgical musician to say, is the world different? Did what we sing and what we presented allow people to enter into this communication with God? Because that's what ritual is. You know, it's not about the ritual. Too many people get too worried about how many candles they got on the altar. And that doesn't matter, you know. If what we do doesn't lead to something and if we're not listening and if it doesn't lead to the mission, you can cut this out right here. What the hell are we doing? What are we doing? You know, and uh, because I don't think that um, how many masses we do or the proper way we do it or what you know, all this other kind of stuff, I don't think God cares. I think God cares that we listen to uh, God speaking to us through the Word, through uh, through the sacraments, and going out and and doing these works and trying to do the best we can to be followers of Jesus. And I think this is a this is a key reminder for those of us who are in pastoral ministry because when we plan liturgies and we think about liturgies, oftentimes we focus primarily on the gathering, the forming, the what do we do during this hour. And that's exactly right. And I'm not I'm not disparaging that whatsoever. That, you know, I spend so much time thinking about how is where is my community at? How am I going to start to form them? How am I going to welcome them? How am I picking pieces through a pastoral lens that um, they know or they can they can uh, uh, they can learn, etc. For for during that time, how do I form them so they're ready for worship within that time? And then by the time we get to the final song or the sending forth hymn, I mean it's kind of the piece that okay, yep, yeah, ties everything together, and now we're going to go out and stuff, and we'll see you next week. And I start thinking again about gathering, but. 
you know, I think what John offers in his conversation and his witness is thinking about ourselves as music missionaries. Now, now John refers to himself as a music missionary in a different sense because he does exactly that. I mean, he does, he travels around and he gives concerts and and presentations and not every certainly not every parish or school music minister is called to do that, right? But but we all are music missionaries in the sense that of course our job first is to help people pray, be leaders of prayer, ministers of prayer during this time. But we also need to think about how do we affect people's understanding, information, and experience of what to do when they leave those doors. You know, again, Christ be knocking on the doors to be let out as we send people forward. I think that's really important. And as John says, you know, I mean, we're disciples first and musicians second. Not that that, you know, if we think of that not in the framework of music style or anything else like that, but as that is a question to evaluate, how are the liturgies we are planning? How are the experiences we are preparing for? How is the prayer we are, you know, putting on the lips of people? How is that helping them for the time immediately after they leave our worship space, after they leave our liturgies? That starts to change our frame of reference a little bit. And I think that's exactly what we're called to do. And that's really where liturgy as the primary moment of catechesis can become ultimately formative when it's not just about the hour or so that we are together, but it's about the rest of the week. And I, I, I you know, I challenge myself in my capacity as a music minister to keep that more in front of my face all the time. And it's a hard thing to do because there are so many things that demand your time and attention. But but that's really what it's all about. That is how we are called to be music missionaries. God, it's a terrifying thing to think about because it's easy to think about whether people like singing the song that you picked. It's easy to think about whether you did a good job rehearsing the choir or not. But to think about whether the music you've picked and the way you've executed your ministry has actually transformed the pe- the way that people live their lives outside of the church doors, it's a terrifying thought to reflect on. Um, because first, I mean, that is that's the true evaluation, and and second, if if it's not transformative, um, the work that w- it would take to get there. Um, could potentially just be incredible. Um, I think so often churches will do evaluations about liturgy, like send out parishioners, questionnaires, like how do you like the music? How do you like the homilies? The real question should be in these evaluations. How has it, how has the way that we celebrated liturgy transformed the way that you live your lives when you are not at liturgy? Um, I don't see that question asked enough, and I think that goes hand in hand with the fact that we we don't think about the sending part as much. This this also has implications for when we, as music ministers, are trying to persuade our assemblies to sing. So often we look at it as a one-dimensional we need to teach the assembly these songs. They should sing because it's good to participate in the mass. Um, more so than that, if we're truly selecting music in this way, with the hopes 
of transformation. We should be encouraging people to sing and to participate in mass because it will change your life if you truly allow these words to resonate on your lips and in your hearts. Well, and this is where, again, you know, to for a third time, to go back to this relationship between what we do in our culture and what we do in our faith or in our worship is the the reality that when I stand in the assembly, in my community, in my church, and I sing these words, I am making a declaration. I am I am taking these words and I am making them my own and I am proclaiming them. Right. I mean, it's just like standing up and saying the creed. A lot of people don't have the formation to understand really what we're doing. But I think if people understood when you stand up in front of your community and before God and you declare these words, I believe that's that's not nothing. Right. That's that's really something incredible. The same thing for the the words that we sing. Now, when you put that in the context of what we do in our culture, you know, we sing in our cars and along with the radio and all this stuff all kinds of time. And and, and you really want to think sometimes about the songs that we sing along to or the words that we sing along to. Is this really what we believe? Are we are we standing by this? Are we committed to this? And so that's a different expectation and a different reality of what participation means in a liturgical setting as opposed to what it means in the culture. I mean, think about think about some of the pop songs that you sing along to. Are those things that you're committing to and making your own? Probably not. But that is what happens when we're at liturgy. Or at least what we hope happens. Exactly right. Or at least what we hope happens. And so how do we make that switch between, yeah, I know in the car on the way over to Mass today, you know, you were singing, you know, I, I'm not even going to make a pop culture reference because all of my pop culture references are too old. But, you know, think about the songs you're singing along to on the way to Mass and your relationship to how you believe those words. And now you come to Mass and we expect that you do believe those words that's a whole different catechetical problem to try and wrap our arms around. As a composer, uh, I did my whole uh, uh, thesis project on uh, the journey of a song. And so it was taking the different rites of the Mass and looking at uh, what the, it's asking for. Like, you know, each rite has a, has a mission of its own to accomplish a certain task as people journey through the liturgy. And I call them hops of faith, where you can take a hop of faith to recognize Christ in each other, to take that humility, to be humble enough to now recognize Christ present in the Word, God speaking to us. So now you have that second part, to take that bigger hop or that leap of faith to now recognize Christ present in the Eucharist. Because, man, I'm telling you, that is the kicker that, boggles the mind that people won't, they don't get it and so if you don't believe it it's not going to ha- it's not that it's not what it is but the effect that it has is not going to be as great you know if 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 you're a musician or something and you don't believe it you're not going to be a musician you know so what what I try to, especially when I go out and do missions, because this has happened for me, is that if you give it a maybe, 
I think God can work with our maybes. But if you say no, you shut it down. But maybe I can plant and till the soil and, and you know, work with that maybe. And over time, when you start to believe that, and then all of a sudden when you leave Mass, you do say, you know what, I'm not going to scream at that person coming out of the parking lot or whatever. Because then it changes our responses. We have to bring something to the table. And if we don't bring our faith to say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I'm looking at the lives of the saints, I'm looking at the church exists, even it's in this dysfunction. I'd look at Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose from the dead, or else we wouldn't be here today. Okay, God, maybe. You know, that that might start people to have a deeper appreciation that, okay, you may not understand all the Mass, but why should I come to church? Because we got the Eucharist. And to me, that means something. Because it has affected my life. And I want other people to uh, be able to appreciate that too. You know, in, in some ways, if anything, it makes us nicer. <laughs> you know? Makes us kinder. And uh, and if it doesn't do that, then, uh, then we maybe miss the point of what it's supposed to do. You know, to become that Christ. And when you look at Jesus and Okay, what, what what was his mission? You know, he was on the outside. The mission isn't inside the church. The mission's outside the church. And um, so that's, for me, that's the purpose of writing liturgical music is, you know, in, in the beginning, when I first started writing, it was like, you know, you have all these things in your head about a music career because that's what you want to do. But I'm 50. I'm on the, the back half of things. And I, I want to leave the world better than I found it. So that when I meet God face to face, you know, you hand him the tapestry of your life. And you're like, I, here's my artwork and I, and I try to do what you asked me to do. And that's why I write. And now here is a recording of I Send You Out in its entirety. I baptize you in the name of the Father. I baptize you in the name of the Son. I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Go out and spread good news. I send you out. I send you out. On a mission of love, I send you out. I send you out. On a mission of love, I send you out. I send you out. On a mission of love, and know that I am with you always until the end of the world.
for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. I Send You Out is published by World Library Publications. The recording you heard was released by WLP on the album Rise Up, My People. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank John and Gotti for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by World Library Publications and by Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer Father Ricky Manalo and his song, Many and Great. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. Thanks for listening.